Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. But this little dink ball, the only one in the crowded area where it's a fist pass, the weight is taken over, hits the ground and it bounces into a fella's chest. Why do you not do many interviews? Oh, really? Yeah, I've been asked to do a whole pile. Really? Yeah. Have you ever rang me? And they're roaring at me, I coffee, you free state bastard. <laughs> and next thing I hear, you have no fucking jurisdiction up here. <laughs> <laughs> So we might get lift off in the championship this week. We got lift off in the hurling championship last weekend. We're hoping the Ulster Championship is going to come good for us this weekend. I don't think it's going to happen in Munster or in Connacht. Let's be honest about it. Tyrone Cavan, Donegal, Derry, Ger, we're hoping. We need a bit of a spark here. We can't wait till provincial finals. No, I think the Ulster Championship, in fairness, it always throws up decent games and it was probably the most entertaining as well in the uh, league format, um, the way they regionalised everything. So... Um, over the years Ulster Championship is the, is, is the best football championship provincial championship that's out, that's out there and that has been there for the last number of years so I think it's something that everyone will be looking forward to the weekend Yeah so we have 3,500 supporters at the Munster semi-finals I think they're pilot events or something like that were you in the Gaelic grounds or in were you in at the match last weekend um, Aaron how was the atmosphere? Uh, I didn't actually get to it because, uh, to be honest with you, I thought it was still at the 500 tickets. I didn't realise that it just had changed late on Thursday night. So, uh, yeah, I was disappointed whenever I turned up. I thought we'd sneaked a lot more into the ground than what was allowed, but it was changed Thursday night to allow more in. Um, by all accounts, uh, a good day out, good atmosphere there. Um, and in fairness, the athletic grounds, it lends well, even whatever it was, two and a half thousand. Um, yeah, you have a... Uh, a huge covered stand on one side and the terrace on the other side has a roof in it so it generally keeps whatever bit of noise there is into the ground also um so it uh yeah it's 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 good to see it's, it's obviously very positive um and i suppose i'd say that's what the ulster council will be looking at in relation to the armagh monaghan fixture um where are we going to get the, the most people in? Is it going to be north or south? Um, so I'd say that would be very much in their thinking. You could get a home game out of it. Uh, yeah, obviously the athletic grounds. Did I call it the Gaelic grounds there? 
no, you said it. Did I say it? Let it run. Did I say it? I thought I might have got that wrong. Come here, Kerry. You're obviously playing Tipperary this weekend, and Conor Sweeney's been talking in the media, and he's been talking about you know belief. And let's be honest, Tipperary are going again in against Kerry, and like nobody's really going to give them a chance. And what are the Tipperary lads thinking? Like he's saying, a lot of teams going to play the top teams are probably beaten before they even take the field. So we've a job to do mentally to prepare ourselves for what's coming. Other than that, we need to drive home the message that we believe in what we're doing in training and we believe that we can compete against them. Can't, like, in my experience playing for Leash, I believe that could win a game even though like everything's telling you that you can't. Like, you just simply have to believe. The problem is after 10 minutes if you're six points down. <laughs> it's knocked out of you, isn't it? That <laughs> bit of hope that you have. No, I think, I think players, you're always going into a game um, with, a, with a bit of hope and we've all been underdogs at one time or another and there is that bit of belief that, you know, if we just get stuck in, get a, get, a, get a feel of the ball nice and early and ask questions of the opposition, you, we'll be in the game. But, you know, the evidence would suggest that Tipperary aren't in a, in a great place, obviously relegated to Division 4. I think Conor Sweeney, what he's done there, he's probably bringing light and awareness to the reality of, of uh, a Division 3 or 4 team playing against a higher opposition that quite often they might be defeated or five or six points down before the first ball is thrown in. So, Bringing awareness to it is is the first part of the call to try to deal with it, and they'll know themselves as a, as a, as a group of players. They haven't backed up the success of last year, and that's something they will probably want to get a good performance, a good performance out of themselves going into the game. But realistically, it's hard to see. Um, uh, the mass and too many questions to carry the way yeah. playing, you know. I know, no, it is hard, but like, I mean, you often see Aaron against teams that play against Dublin. Now, I know quality obviously is factored in here, but when the floodgates really open up in the last 20 minutes, is when the belief has just completely gone out the window, and you know, it's just a kind of a demoralization um, exercise. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, similarly to Cavan, like I really can't get my head around Tipperary this year. You know, the old saying is success breeds success. And you would have thought that the enthusiasm within the county and sports within that group as well, who had been knocking on the door and been very competitive for probably the guts of 10 years there. But to to end up getting relegated to Division 4, granted they had obviously Colin O'Reardon was back playing for them last year. Quinlan was missing for, for basically the whole league. But not to be able to raise themselves in a one-off game to make sure that they avoided um, Division 4. To me, that says that obviously just maybe psychologically or mentally um, this group have switched off or, or there is issues there. Um, you, you would hope that, you know, they'll get some sort of a kick out of themselves that, you know, as, as reigning monster champions, um, that they'll go out and, you know, play with, I suppose, a bit of drive, a bit of fire in the belly, um, you know, to try and get some sort of pride back into the group after a poor league campaign, but um, really learning a lot of lessons from from what happened. Claire, um, the last day out is what they need to focus on. Uh, Kerry, I think it was did fifteen turnovers um, at Claire, and it was Claire basically giving the ball away, and they were hit for one six off those turnovers. So um, that put the game out of sight in the first half, and, and that's something that Tipperary are absolutely absolutely going to have to to guard against this weekend and make sure that it, it doesn't happen. If they can get the half time three or four points in it, you know, they might make a bit of a game that it's a spectacle that we all will, will stay tuned to. Yeah, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that um, in part uh, three when we start looking at the, we do predictions on the other games. Another bit of news, lads, is there's two managers gone. Uh, so Mike Quirk and Porrick Davis resigned. Davis straight after the match 
and Mike Quirk the day after, you know, but you could probably tell from an interview he did after the game that he was kind of done. And Parik Davis was very, very honest. He said, uh, Ger, when I look at the scoreboard, I've neither the energy nor the appetite to try and take that on next October or November. Like, brilliant. Like, he is a straight talker, Parik Davis. I remember playing against him um, back in the 90s. He says, I look up at that scoreboard and I say, do I have the energy to pick that up again and go again? If I'm honest, I don't. And I suppose from Mike Quirk and Parik Davis's um positions Quirk's in his second year Davis is in his third year so you really want to have, been, have the team where you want them at that stage and to be humiliated like I mean you know you're just ripping it up like I, I imagine everything they believe they have done is kind of out the window it, it, Yeah and you would feel for Park Davis and he was involved obviously as a player for a number of years and, and uh, in the background too before he got the managerial role and Again, for for um, those who have played and gone into either coaching or even helping out the underage teams in the local club, there's, there's just so much more involved when you're when you're looking after a team, whether it's under 15s or obviously managing a senior to county team. You know, there's so much work that goes into it, and it can be quite straining and draining on you when you look at how COVID has kind of uh, hampered any sort of. Uh, progression or continuity in some of the areas where where, where where Davis may have improved in year one um, to be uh, was it 22 points they lost it uh, yeah. against Mead and uh, they put up a good score against those in Carlo and the the good feeling they would have had by staying up and beating Tipperary in the Division 3 uh, relegation playoff um, he would have hoped for a better performance and that may have given him something then to say do you know what? Where we are going in the right direction, the COVID has gotten in the way, um, but I can see where we can improve things, and I can see it happen fairly quickly, all going well in the new year that we actually get a run of six league games under our belt, and and then give the uh, uh, provincial championship then a good go again. But you can you can appreciate where he's coming from. Maybe after the game that he came out so quickly, it would suggest that he had the decision made uh, in advance of that. Um, uh, quite often, you don't want to say anything too uh, emotional emotional um, or, or controversial after a big defeat because you're not in the right headspace but I would, I would say he probably had the, his mind made up anyway you know seems that well if he didn't if he was 50-50 that's kind of going to send him over send him over to you I often think about managers I always have players on here as analysts and stuff I never really think from the manager's point of view but they put so much into it Aaron and like I mean if you play well as a player I don't know, I always got over a defeat if I played well because I didn't blame myself and, you know, you'll have a couple of cans on the bus and by the time an hour's gone by, I'm, I'm thinking about <laughs> getting home and going out and stuff and I've gotten over it. But managers, like, I mean, they're, they're to blame, you know? Like, I mean, they might even struggle to go down to the pub or to be tortured. I, I know only too well um, from, from Dad's time, um, you know, with club and county, you, you would have definitely seen both sides of the coin. Uh, to be fair, thankfully, he, he brought plenty of success in both places. But um, definitely the, the defeats were the ones where uh, it's just so hard for them to take because it, the, I suppose they, they just feel full responsibility for it, not in terms of obviously their playing group who they have ultimate responsibility for, um, but just in terms of especially once it's a county um you're just I suppose it's you don't want to see people you don't want to talk to them and everyone wants us to know to know what happened why did it go wrong were we not prepared you know everyone wants their their own piece off you um and I suppose even more so from whenever he was involved compared to now like um especially your social media it's just took everything to an absolute new level where um 
a click of a button and someone's opinion is is right in front of your face. Um, as unfortunately Mike Quirk uh, found out with the the tweet stat that was put to him uh, after the game, but. It is. It is very, very difficult for them, and and you would have to feel for both of those managers. Uh, I suppose even particularly uh, Mike Quirk, who that was his first venture into into county football, and um, you know, he comes across and any media work he does and podcast and that he, you know, big thinker with the game and, yeah. and intelligent and played that way. But he just got two horrible seasons with Leash. You know, he was only really getting going in the National League last year. Obviously, COVID put a halt to Everton, and then he had a rush National League and a rush Championship. Uh, Obviously, tried to abide by the rules this year round, and it severely hampered uh, the preparation for for him and his team. And uh, I would say it's not a true reflection of of his ability as a manager. And I suppose that's what will probably disappoint him the most. But um, yeah, it will not be they'll not be the last managers. I, I'd imagine that'll that'll walk the plank before the the summer's out. Yeah, exactly. No, but it does have to be pointed out how unlucky Mike Quirk has been in the two yeah. years. Like he's and and before the lockdown, they started the league really well. Beat. Drew with Roscommon and beat Armagh away. Well, we always beat Armagh, Aaron, so that's not really much of a much of a surprise. Come here, just before before I move on, have you ever seen Joe being tortured in the pub and have to go over and rescue him after a game, like uh, by by the same old face? Absolutely, uh, I don't know my hand. In fairness, he's he's got his own uh, two sort of regulars in town, and all he needs to do is make eye contact with the barman <laughs> and. Uh, di- they come over and rescue the situation but oh no definitely it does it, it happens to some people who just don't take no for an answer yeah. I, I say Joe could look after himself Aaron he has his own few, his own crew he'll always have his own uh, men that he, he would always go to the games or people who would always have his back and you know the same people they'll, they'll go out every weekend and meet up um, so uh, he, he doesn't mind having the, the few socials with them but it's, it's whenever someone else chips in that's where it can get difficult Imagine being an inter-county manager being livid after a loss and having some lad telling you where you went wrong Yeah Oh my god like I mean the patience you would need for that because players don't really get that either they get it a bit but again yeah. if you played well they're, t- they're qualifying everything by saying no we're not blaming you you were you know you were out standing today and you can kind of listen to that a little bit yeah. <laughs> because you're being complimented what, what were you like after losses Jared? did you carry them around with you or did you get over them pretty no quick? I think I'd agree with you there Willie you know in your own summation when you are a player you're you're obviously disappointed initially and um, once you get a couple of beers into you you kind of unwind a bit and, and you have to you know it's just uh, you kind of got to let it go for that particular reason and then you begin to look at things maybe the next day or two um, areas of your performance or the team's performance and Again, try to put things right, but um, again, losing and playing poorly is 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 a hard thing to stomach. That's the worst, and, yeah. And yeah, and that's the worst. And um, trying to get over that is particularly when you look at how the football championship is now structured for uh, this season. You know, losing and playing poorly and having to wait till the end of January to play a challenge game or a pre-season game. Is is a very very tough thing to, uh, place to be in that you can't do anything really for six months other than get the gym stuff going or watching lads playing uh, uh, playing their clubs. But uh, but no, as a player, you just have to get on with it. You have to kind of dust yourself down, and you can't dwell too much in the past. Like unfortunately, you you lose more games than you win, and again, you just have to kind of uh, learn to deal with it and kind of uh, push on. But I think a lot of the elite players who are successful, and you hear guys from different sports, and you be listening to different podcasts or reading books or 
watching films, the, 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 the best guys out there, even when they played well, they still got caught up on the one that they lost or the ball that they missed. And that's just the nature of an elite, high, high, uh, high performance uh, individual. But as a player, you definitely forget about it quicker. As a manager and from my own teaching career beforehand, if a student got good marks, he was a good student. If the student got bad marks, he was a bad teacher. And the same is true for coaching that uh, if the team plays well, sure, it's a great team of players. But if they play poorly, sure, it's the manager's fault. You know, yeah. what's, what's your man doing with them? Right now, if you actually look objectively at the video, well, that goal came from an overlap when our number 15 didn't bother his arse to track back. And all of a sudden, they carried the ball up the field. But then, anyway. Yeah. The, op- the opposite, actually, I'm, la- I'm laughing. The opposite happened with us when Mikko was over leash. When we won, it was because Mikko was the Messiah. <laughs> yeah. And when we lost, it was because the players weren't committed. Ah, look, Mikko, what's he meant to do with those lads? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so exactly, he, just yeah. Got, he was just at a level where he never really got blamed because obviously he'd won so much. Come here, Brian, Brian Hurley's been talking in the media, Aaron, Aaron, and I thought this was an interesting one. And he's talking about the advice Kieran Sheehan gave him since he came back from the Aussie rules and it's something I've thought about he said small things that they're very good at catching the ball he just showed me different things in terms of moving out their hands are always out so you don't bring it into your chest I love learning new things and picking up small things that um, I can try in a match or, or bring into training sessions. So anybody listening, if they're watching Brian Hurley this weekend or on the highlights, watch him going out and holding his hands out because I've thought about this because when you play in the forward line and he obviously played um, in, in the backs and you're trying to get that fist in. Yeah. Now, catching it into your chest is a guarantee. Like, unless you're, you know, unless you're a, f- a fumbler and, you know, you can't hold on to it. But generally, if you let it hit your chest, you wrap your arms around it and it's secured. But if you bring it that far in, the back behind you can get a fist, you know. So I remember marking this lad, Highland lad from Wicklow, and he kept getting a fist in. And I was thinking, jeez, this lad, Kieran Highland, yeah. and he was fast. Now, I was running straight lines out because back then there was no diagonal balls. And whatever, he fisted a few and I was like, Jesus, every time I bring, bring it in. But anyway, so I started batting the ball down in front of me so that he couldn't get a fist in. Now, it bounced in front of me and I picked it up. Now, I might have got one or two from that. But the whole idea, Aaron, of, of catching... Usually a catch over your head with your hands up, but to catch out in front of your body with your with your hands, it obviously means you'll never get th- that ball fisted away. But the technique is much more difficult. Have Have you ever dis- dis- discussed this up in Cross McGlenn or with Armagh? To be To be fair, it's actually something that we have been always coached in Cross is to try and win the ball um, out in front uh, and. Uh, some of the reasons are obviously what you, you've mentioned in terms of if you're pulling it in, you know, you're bringing it closer to the defender to get a hand on. But uh, another reason would be is that just something as quick as, you, you know, you can get shot of it that bit quicker. You know, you've given yourself that wee bit more space um, from your defender. Or even if you're, say, a half forward and you're winning it, you're on the half turn and the ball's gone again, you know. And it's only a wee split second thing. It's only probably centimetres in the difference from pulling it from your chest to, to an outreach stand. Our arm, but you basically, as you're turning, you have the foot, uh, the ball down in your foot that bit quicker, and it's gone, it's moved on again, and your defender hasn't even got a chance to make contact with you. Um, so yeah, it it was it was good to read that. Uh, uh, that's something that Dave took back from Australia because, um, like I said, definitely it is something that I know even at senior level with ourselves in the club that it's something that the management are continuously harping on to to our forwards in particular um, to make sure that they do it. Yeah, it's a much more difficult technique, Chair. Have you discussed this? Yeah, we w- would have been very similar to what Aaron described there. Um, when the ball is coming, being kicked to your pass, you make sure that you're always coming onto it and get the hands out. And as Aaron described, you can move it uh, that it's bit quicker. It's much harder though, right? Yeah, it's, it, it's, 
it is, yeah. I guess much harder, particularly if it's a, if it's a wet day. But, or if it's a longer kick. If it's a longer kick, then as well. But the the, the it's very tempting <clears> just to pull that into the chest and make sure it sticks. Yeah, it, it depends on what the situation is in the context. But I think players like to be kind of challenged that way, even within a drill. Again, no balls in the ground, thirty meter kick pass. You got to catch it in the fingers. Um, don't be letting the ball come into you. But um, it, from if you watch the guys playing the rugby now, haven't played a bit of underage rugby. They do that. They do that, and we we're always taught from a young age have your hand out to ready to receive the ball so you can move it on nice and quickly. Yeah. If, uh, I, I remember being be. coached that in rugby too. You yeah. have the hand, you catch it out there. Yeah, you, you catch. But that's being thrown across the line. It's much easier running onto it. Yeah, no, it's not it being is. driven at you. It's not being driven <laughs> at you. But then you just got to practice, and and uh, some of the practices that we would have had where a fella be ten meters away from you and he's full force lashing, lashing the ball into you, and you got to try and catch it in your hands. And again, the more you practice, the uh, Easier is then to uh, replicate into the game, you know. Yeah, one thing where you could get caught is if you if you get the punch on your arm, maybe, and it could spill by having it out there rather than securing it, you know. So maybe that's something. Well, that's another coaching thing then that uh, I'd be trying to say to some lads involved in. If, if if your man does have the yard on you, that a little gentle nudge on the elbow without pulling the jerseys because the pull is too easy to give a free. Yeah. A, little, a little nudge just as the ball's coming in and you'll you actually see a lot of defenders do it like getting the flick in with the hurling as well. You know, so. Yeah, one of the most heartbreaking frees you'll ever get uh, or that you won't get, Aaron, is when you're going to hand pass a ball and that your hand passing hand gets kind of tapped or, or yeah. you know, pulled and the referee, it's like a hook in hurling. The referee never blows it as a free and you literally just, you know, half hand pass it and it spills away from you and you, you look like you've done something wrong but you've been fouled. Yeah, you just look like a weakling. Uh, it's, a, it's a depressing one to get. But uh, j- just on, on the one we were explaining there again with the hands out in front, again, another coaching point then is that it's very important that you, you actually run through the ball. You know, yeah. sometimes if you're taking it in your chest, you're, you're stopping and the defender's there and you're maybe looking to, to spin them or whatever. But in terms of that one there, like you must run straight through the ball. And you, you, I suppose depending whether you're an inside forward or you're a half forward or whatever you're winning in, as Jerry says, if you're practicing it off enough in training and you have a manager coaching continuously and harping on, you do. like You, you can see an improvement in, in, uh, in no taming boys, but it is very important, particularly if you're that half forward, that you're winning in front, you're running straight through the ball and then you're on your arc. Uh, run and just swinging it and getting it delivered straight into your full forward lane whether that's straight up the lane again or, or on a diagonal yeah exactly come here I meant to tell you I caught a mark last night my first ever mark well done, what and you scored it. Was it Yeah, I scored it and a high mark or a low mark or? it was a it was a low one but yeah. it was it was funny uh, I caught a I caught a midfield mark and didn't mark it kept continuing yeah. on and then I went in full forward and I caught one I just continued to play up and all I hear was shout, mark it, mark it. I was like, what are these lads? <laughs> would never be, I've never played on a field with this thing yeah. ever. And then I caught another one and I still didn't think about it. I turned around and was going to take my man on and they're all shouting, mark, mark. And I just put up my hand like the ref shouldn't have given it to me because I kind of played on. Uh, but anyways, I thought I'd bring that to you, Junior B. It's a nice, it's a, it's a, I don't know, there, it felt quite nice marking it and yeah, putting yeah. the mark over. And I'm a very big critic of the mark. But I don't know. I don't. I don't know why there's a bit of a satisfaction for players doing it. Maybe would there be? It's probably a bit of pressure off you then as the forward that you don't have someone or two fellas lashing into you, and uh, you, you know you can kind of gather your thoughts for a minute and see yeah. what's on. You know, but, yeah. Uh, but the, the again, look at the pros and cons of the mark. I suppose we could be here all day. In yeah, the end, so. no, we won't get into that. Because yeah, most yeah. of us are against it. I just don't yeah. know. I just it was a nice feeling catching it. Maybe it's it's. I've never been a free taker, and all eyes are on me then for that free. I don't know. <laughs> like, 
Maybe this is just my ego working overtime that I quite like <laughs> that. Is, yeah. <laughs> this, this isn't a junior B match now yeah, I'm talking yeah. about my ego. Yeah. Uh, come here, there's weird goings on, Aaron, in Longford. Um, so... I was told about this anyways and I confirmed it with the Longford County Board. So like, I mean, it's actually a hilarious story. You couldn't make this up. It's pure GEA. And at a county board meeting um, a few months ago, whenever the county board meeting was, they decided that the first five league club games would be without county players. And I don't have too much of a problem with that because um, it was supposed to be a case where four rounds would be played before the Mead-Longford game. And then the weekend after the the, the Longford or the the Mead Longford game, they would give the intercounty players that weekend free, and then be, they'd be back two weeks later. So in theory, I suppose at that meeting they were probably doing the right thing. Now, why they needed to ban them when they're with the county, anyways, which would have happened, it, it, anyways, that that's their decision. But as it transpires, the very first weekend that the club was allowed to go back, they didn't play a round of league games, and last weekend they didn't play a round of league games. So what they've actually done is only played two rounds of league games in the time they should have played four. So now there's three league games left. The county team is out of the out of the championship, and they're telling the intercounty players that they can't line out with their clubs in the remaining three the remaining three league games. Like I mean, isn't that whatever about the initial decision, Aaron, to to not say here, look, okay, you know, that was what we decided then, but it's changed and work away now at this stage. Like, how hard is it to review it now and say, do you know what? This is three games of football um, that we have a full group, whatever, a panel of 30 players that are now missing out on, you know, it, it's beggar's belief how sometimes people, you know, just dig their heels in and stick to something. And you say it is, it, it can be a typical GAA thing, like where people just won't go with the times and just say, you know what, it was a great idea. Unfortunately, the county's exited quicker than we would like. But it's the same for every club then. Everyone gets their club players back. There's some clubs there, you know, who will be benefiting for the next three weeks if they don't have a county player yeah. and they might be up against teams uh, that do have county players. That's an advantage to them now. Do you know, I, I personally now would find it very hard if I was beaten for Armagh last weekend and the county board was telling me you can't play a football now for the next three weeks. So it's basically a month now that they can't play a football for. Yeah. And they're all fit, healthy and mad for football. And in the middle of the summer, you're going to tell them come back to me in August and we'll let you play a game. Like it, it just, you know, just sometimes we just make issues for ourselves that just aren't necessary. Yeah, and that's the thing, and the, the, the county board tried yeah. to say to me, he didn't actually mention the fixtures thing. It was somebody else told me that. They said that the under 20s are still in the championship and the hurlers are still in the championship. And I said to him on the phone, so, yeah. this is only a league game. Let the lads that can play, play the league game. Like it's, it's, it's actually outrageous. You're being prohibited from playing for your club. It goes against everything that the the, the GEA stands for. And I, I, I'm trying to, as yourself and Aaron are chatting there, and I'm trying to think of, of, of some of the logic behind putting that in place. And, you know, the the only logic I can see is that, one, it's, firstly, it takes the pressure off the inter-county guy that he, he feels like he's not being pulled back to play for the, uh, um, uh, the club team during the inter-county championship. And then secondly, if there is promotion relegation in the in the local leagues that um, a team that, like Aaron mentioned, mightn't have any county players, all of a sudden they're playing against a team with two or three county players, there might be a bit of a, a disparity there between them. But 
Other than that, why don't they just change it and let the lads play? Yeah, like, they might. They might change it now. Yeah, you know. the clubs will have to put on a bit of a press themselves. To, See, to, but the, the county board uh, secretary told me on the phone that it was the club delegates that decided this. They yeah. said the clubs decided this, and I was like, wait, now it was the delegate in the count from the club in the county board that maybe decided it. You yeah, know, yeah. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how to do uh, what to do because it's just simply outrageous well, as it stands. Well, even, even if you look at the bureaucracy of it all and how decisions are made and who represents who like I don't I don't know about Aaron's situation but even yourself or Port Leach I don't really remember bar maybe once or twice in my latter years senior at the club where the club delegate at county board meetings would have asked the opinion never of happens players. No. never happens now it can't always happen because you, you know that consensus model will never work too many different opinions but on something like this I think it seems very obvious Yes, you're knocked out of Inter County. Give the lads a week or, a week off anyway, have their few beers and just unwind, and then come back training the, the Tuesday week or the Wednesday week after yeah. uh, being knocked out. And it has to be go. said, it has to be said that was their original plan. It's yeah. just the, the the fixtures committee or whatever just didn't enforce these four games to be played yeah. um, instead of five. Just not to be too critical on the initial county board meeting. So Cluxton was playing last night, Aaron for Parnell, centre half back. Um, I'd say he's absolutely loving it. At least he's gone out of the forwards anyways because uh, <laughs> let's just say he's a very accurate forward but he wouldn't have much of a clue about how to play in the forwards from, from, my, from my memory. There's all sorts of stuff going on here, Aaron. Like, I mean, I was reading somebody in the Irish News, he tweeted and he said, wouldn't it be typical of him in his last act for Dublin was to forsake the fanfare and create a distraction that protects Evan Comerford? Now, is that overthinking it or, or is that overthinking? Like, like... I don't know. What's your what's your thoughts on it? I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I have to. My opinion is that he has retired. Um, I think that Desi knows he's retired. I think his teammates knows he's retired. I don't think he wanted the fanfare of it. I think if they could turn the clock back, Desi might have changed his warden at the weekend, or they might have done it slightly different. I could be wrong, but for me, like Stephen Cluxton, is after playing for Dublin for 20 years, he's been the Dublin captain. He's after winning eight All-Irelands. He's obviously extremely committed and devoted to that Dublin team. There's no way he is leaving that group in the lurch. He's not leaving Desi in the lurch. Um, he, he's not either in or out. That's, I've never actually met the man. I think maybe briefly once or twice. You know, So I can't say I know him personally, but given everything that he has done for Dublin um, and the fact that he's been a captain and such a pivotal figure, I think there's no way in the world he's leaving them at this stage that he doesn't know whether he's coming back or not for probably the most rushed championship that he's ever been involved in, apart from maybe last year's. Um, he said, time will tell whether whether I'm wrong or not, but uh, you know, I know he's a, he's a very quiet man. He likes to keep himself to himself, but just somebody who was such a a pivotal figure in the GA and you know will will go down you know with iconic status um it probably would have been nicer if he had just said himself you know that you could step away and, and then we all could lash in with laud and plaudits to him yeah. um but We'll see. But is there not more speculation now than there would have been if he had retired? Like, it's actually worse now. There were, there were photographers taking pictures of him last night playing with Parnells. You see, I do know Stephen Cluxton. You know him, Ger. But I'll give you an example. So Cluxton's seen as a big Parnells man and everything, and nothing could be further from the truth. From my experience, like, there was mornings he wouldn't get out of bed to come across training. Like, this is the fella everybody would look up to in the squad. I remember in my second year there where... 
he was looking to play in the forwards. He played one league game there in the forwards against Vincent's actually. And anyways, look, he's not he's not a forward. Anyways, he was putting a lot of pressure on the manager to play him in the forwards. A lot, to the point where I discussed it with the manager and I says, listen to me. Do we play the best goalkeeper in the, in, the, in the whole country or do we play an intermediate level forward? I said, this isn't even up for debate. He's the best goalkeeper in the country. We need him in the goals, whatever. Anyways, he, he didn't get his way. And the week before we played Kilmacco Crokes in the championship, we had a challenge match on the, I think it was the Friday night before the following Saturday or the following Friday night. He went playing five-a-side so- five soccer. We, had, we didn't have our goalie a week before the championship now. I just, like, I just couldn't comprehend this. And I kind of saw him in a different way then. And when I see this now, I strongly believe Desi doesn't know what the hell's going on. I strongly believe that Cluxton has to hump over something. Now, you can speculate, was it the COVID breach? You know, was he pissed off over that? I've heard that. You hear different things. Who knows? My, th- my, I think strongly that Cluxton's pissed off over something. He's not above being petulant. He can be a contrary character and everyone will, anyone that knows him will admit that. And I believe Desi hasn't a notion what he's doing because he probably won't answer the phone to him. Now, again, I, t- I respect Aaron's. I think the idea that he's taking pressure off the team is fanciful. What's your take, Ger? A week after I asked you for yeah. the first time. <laughs> Well, kind of last week, Aaron, we were chatting about this and, and I was kind of um, along the same lines as yourself that, you know, given what he's done for Dublin, um, I can't um, confirm or deny what he's experienced with the club. That's obviously um, uh, oh, a that's fact. Club, that's a, that's a club fact. matter, yeah. But but uh, I, I would have been of the um, uh, view and stance that if he was going to step away, he would have just done it quietly. Uh, but he would have done it at the start of the season, and that maybe he was just taking a bit of a breather to give 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 the mind, body, and soul a chance to reinvigorate. And 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 like Desi mentioned in the post game interview, to 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 get a bit of the appetite back. Um, I think playing the game outfield uh, last night would suggest that he has an appetite for playing for Parnells last night. He does have his appetite there, but uh, as we've three of us have experienced here, sometimes the pressure of going back. Uh, having played with your county and you go back and represent the club you still give the best of yourself but it's a different kind of pressure and do, you think, do you think Desi knows? No You think Desi's in the dark? I'd say he's in the dark yeah. well, what do you, What's Cluxton playing at then? I don't know but that's I, I, I don't know and again I mentioned it last week Because uh, no just because Paul Flynn replied back to me on Twitter when I was saying this and he yeah. was like do you think the, the Desi's not going to tell the media what's the truth? I don't know, maybe I'm naive. Well, no, I'm not naive because I know Cluxton. I believe Desi in that interview. Yeah. That he says, I'm not sure. I would I would believe Desi in that interview um, that he isn't sure and that maybe Cluxton still isn't sure either. But I I don't know. It, it, it's uh, <laughs> it's interesting. You know, the fact he played last night has, has, has probably messed around with some of my... Uh, uh, thoughts on it from, from last week but because uh, he'd been playing away with Parnell I was yeah. reading Paddy Andrews he was talking on off the ball and he says he's not going to be back yeah. the reality is is the All-Ireland final Paddy very very confident they're going to be in the All-Ireland final he's probably right yeah. but the All-Ireland final is six or seven weeks away we're in the middle of the championship he's not there it's, it's it, not fair in anyone for him to be coming back now so we can write him off it's, it, it's a tough it's a tough task I guess to come in particularly with a lot of new players um, coming into the back line coming into the Dublin team as well and trying to build those kind of little synergies uh, as a keeper and getting used to the runs that fellas make for you out the pitch and those different kind of nuances that you only pick up and learn through actually playing and training with individuals so 
it will be hard probably for him to 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 just come back in. But uh, so I don't know. I, I'm a probably a bit bewildered myself, fully. You know. So yeah, no, it's an thing, it, yeah. it's definitely an interesting one. It might drag on during the summer. And this is another confusing part about it is it dragging on during the summer. Whereas if he retired, he would go down as the greatest goalie in history. He would get plaudits for a week, and then everybody would move on. So like I mean, yeah. you know, the idea that he's taking pressure off any of somebody, I don't know. I think it's reading way too much into it. Anyways, lads, we've gone over time on the start of the show. We'll come back and we'll look at the matches. All right, lads. So let's look ahead to the games of the weekend. And obviously, Aaron, the biggest game of the weekend um, is Tyrone Cavan. I don't think anyone will argue about that. We don't know where Tyrone are at. They're they're both coming in with confidence, bruised. Let's be honest. Cavan are Ulster champions. Tyrone took a desperate beating off Kerry. To be fair to Tyrone, they had done reasonably well in the two games before that. So, like, I mean, do do Tyrone say right? We played probably the one team in the country that can tear you apart. Let's look at the league in, in its entirety rather than completely react to this carry loss. You would hope so. Um, I, I know, I suppose, history would tell you different. Um, you know, they changed the style with Mickey Hart a couple of years ago and took a beating off Donegal and reverted back to tape. But um, I'd be of the opinion that I think Fergal Logan, Brian Duher, they see this more as a, as a long-term project. You know, Things have happened a bit quicker from them and there are going to be issues. Uh, but I, I would say that you, you'll still see a bit more of what their philosophy um, is in terms of keeping more men ahead of the ball, having more kicking options in the half forward lane. Um, it is, it's is—it's a good challenge for them in terms of they're coming up against the Ulster champions. And I think, um, you know, if we could, well, I don't know, even we can park Cavan's league form, um, you know, but... Tyrone have to be expecting something similar to what we've seen from Cavan last year. Like, I think even as neutrals, every one of us was sitting back, you know, uh, sort of in awe of what they were doing in the Ulster Championship, particularly it was the final against Donegal where they were rank underdogs and they just literally threw themselves at every contest that there was um, and were full value for the win. So um, I'm sure that's what Mickey Graham's going to be trying to to get them back, that that's the pitch he needs them to be back at. Um, but in terms of this one, I, I would see it probably being, uh, should be a, a decent game of football. Um, Tyrone, I suppose, their their kicking game will rely on whether Dara Canavan, um, instead of playing inside, he's been playing uh, as an outlet in the half-forward lane. But luckily, he picked up a serious injury against uh, Kerry that time. He was stretched off. So um, whether, whether he's available or not um, might sort of tweak uh, their management's thinking but you'd be very hopeful of, of having a really good physical contest this weekend uh, Peter Canavan's been talking about this journey saying Kerry went to town in our kickouts the last day um, Tyrone don't have the luxury of having a big ball winning midfielder like other teams and we know that's the strength of Cavan's um, um, with uh, Gerard McKiernan and Thomas Galligan in midfield that's their you know that's probably a strong point of theirs so Tyrone are going to have to depend on these short kickouts maybe and uh, we know how risky they are when every team is pushing up. So, like, like I can see Cavan being pretty confident of a desperate record against Tyrone. But this isn't the Tyrone teams that they've desperate records against, if you know what I mean. It's a new team where Cavan can say, here, look, we, we, we're well in with a chance here. No, they certainly feel that they're well in with a chance. And, and, and again, Mickey Graham will, I suppose, draw on the success of last year and, 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 and probably try to, to, to park that disappointing form from the league. I, uh, for me, I think that if Cavan play conservative, conservatively because of their 
number of scores that he have been conceding and being relegated. If, if they drop off, I think Tyrone, I think it'll play into to Tyrone's hands because I think Tyrone have better footballers overall and their ability then to uh, move the ball uh, up the field will, will, would be superior to Cavan's. But if, 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 if Mickey Graham is able to, to take some sort of a, a calculated risk and uh, and push up on, on the Tyrone kickout like we've seen Kerry do in the last league game, I think he will get a bit of reward from it. But I, I, I watching a couple of the games the weekend, you know, a lot of teams seem to be just a bit cagey, um, not overly committing at times. Everyone maybe a bit fearful of conceding scores that it's knockout football, and and uh, I think certainly Tyrone will have to probably maybe adopt that that, that standpoint uh, a bit. And again, obviously the two lads in there, it's the first year. And it is a three, four year plan that no, no doubt that um, they'll have their eyes on. But at the same time, it is a championship match. You don't want to lose. You do want to progress to the next round. And uh, I, I can see it, a bit of a tactical kind of battle for the first part of the match until until both teams maybe settle down and then um, um, see what see what happens then from there. If, if Tyrone don't work the ball up the field quickly. We know Cavan drift back. You know, Cavan, Cavan like kind of disorganised games, Aaron, where bodies are everywhere and you attack with everyone, defend with everybody. Trome will try to play a more of a kicking game. But if you don't have an option from kickouts and you're kicking it short, whether it's that's under pressure or not under pressure, you're not going to get your kicking game at the other end of the field. You know, like it's almost like the, the game Tyrone want to play. You pretty much, you need to be able to win some sort of kind of ball out around midfield to be able to get that go forward kind of kick an option. You, you do, but um, that is one issue. Like Declan McClure, Brian Kennedy, Richard Donnelly, uh, they've all been trade middle of the field. Frank yeah. Burns, Maddie Donnelly. You know, it's 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 very unusual for one of your say, realistically top six teams, you know, not to have one marquee midfielder who's your your nailed all certainly and you maybe have someone if you're going horse and courses, whether it's another big man or a runner. Um, so it is an area that I think ultimately will will hold them back from taking that next step up from being a competitive team to someone who was winning all Ireland like the previous were previously were. Um but in terms of if they do go short, you know, if they fall into the old habit of going round in circles, waiting for people to come running off the shoulder. It's just going to be the throne of old. You know, if Cavan offered them the opportunity to go short, um, they still need to have half forwards who are disciplined enough, you know, to hold the lane and make their breaks to the to the wings where they're then in a position to receive a kick pass. And at that stage, you know, you might still have taken maybe four, six Cavan players out. You know, it, it's freeing up more space in the other end of the field, but they need the men ahead of the ball for that there to happen. Um, or if it's the case, maybe if they're going to go long, you know, you have to have maybe what the, the old-fashioned throne was where you have huge numbers crashing for break ball um, yeah. and then trying to deliver it inside. But definitely, if, if they want to evolve, if they want to change, having men ahead of the ball who are you know disciplined to hold the lane and capable of then winning the ball, um, th- that's massive for them. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what they do. I, I, I believe that... Uh, Logan and Dura know that they need to change um, and I do think that they will try and do that this weekend um, but I also believe that I think regardless of where they are in the field and you say Cavan love unstructured stuff they love a bit of chaos um, and I think as Rain and Ulster champions they have to come out fighting this weekend Well that's the thing and like they will come out fighting and kicking games don't really work against the chaos and disorganised game where one it's like all 30 players are one end then they all move down the other end and then they all I think Cavan work best 
in that kind of disorganised all over the place game. Colin McShane looks like he's back now. I read an interview a month ago with Paul Donaghy and he says he's already back training. So we're looking to have him ready for the championship. Now that throws another kind of string to Tyrone's bow for the for the maybe a, a longer ball option, for example, and maybe get a few marks off him. He's outstanding in the air. And, you know, like, I mean, if he's if he's in the mix and McKenna at 11, it, it, there's no doubt it strengthens Tyrone, Chair. No, it does. And, and, and to maybe touch on one thing that Aaron said there, that in the unstructured nature... Um, that uh, Cavan tried to bring to the game and, and, and maybe get opposition to nearly get sucked in and buy into it as well. But where you do get options is when you turn over Cavan in your 21 metre line or half uh, back line, if you have your discipline forwards, like Aaron mentioned, who are holding the 45. But Cavan attack with everyone, you see. Re- Cavan mess well, you up in that kind of way, I think. Well, that's where you're going to need the management to probably say, listen, we're happy for you just to stay there and we've enough defenders back there um, to, to deal with this. Even if they get a bit of an overlap, we'll just tighten it up. We'll turn them over and if you even win one of the balls, 02 or 03, and we get it up to you and we create a goal opportunity, all of a sudden, he's going to have to think about going the next time and that's, again, you do need to keep your forward structure there. Um, on, on, on McShane, I think he's a super player. Uh, do, you, do you start him or do you bring him in? Um, again, championship football, is is uh, uh, the intensity level just goes up another notch um, than the league, and the fact that he is only getting back from injury, so so maybe he, he he's somebody you bring into the game. Maybe you're right. The game yeah. has opened up a bit, and Cavan 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 players have fatigued a bit. But um, it it uh, it it'll be interesting uh, to watch it for the first fifteen twenty minutes to see how how both sides kind of set up, and whether there is going to be a bit of a chess match. But um, if you can turn Cavan over in your defence and have your discipline outlet player or one or two guys up in the 45 and all of a sudden you know it's 30 40 meter kick pass up uh cabin guys are defending running towards their own goal and a goal opportunity comes well then they'll have to rethink what they're doing yeah um uh, killian clark is made for mcshane anyways i suppose aaron if he does and faulkner you'd imagine will will follow mckenna mckenna's been a bit all over the place in the league he's played a bit in midfield against Kerry. he's center forward he's full forward and he hasn't he hasn't sprung to life. Like, I mean, his form almost reflects Tyrone's. Yeah, well, I suppose just if you go back to the Cahill McKenna one, or Cahill McShaman, sorry, like, he hasn't played a game of football since probably March of, of last year. Yeah. So, like, he's been completely out of football to, to throw him in from the start and expect him, like, with the best will in the world and all the rehab you can do and the internal games to go from playing no football for a year and a half to think you're going to hit the ground run at a championship, it's going to be a huge ask for him. But I, I don't know, maybe he, he has been in super condition and they have just been minding him. But uh, my opinion was that maybe the ankle injury turned out to be a lot worse than what it was or had more complications than they expected because um, he really should have been back quicker than this. And then Conor McKenna, the, I suppose, carefree nature or the zip that he came back with last year has very much been missing out of his game. I, I was at the Armagh own game and he just didn't look like the same character. He didn't have the same energy about himself as he did in all his games last year. But, you know, the, the it's, it's summer football, um, it's championship. This is really what he come home from, uh, come home for. And I suppose nobody will have been more disappointed in, in how he was playing than himself. Um, and I, I think we'll see a much improved version of him um, like he, he was good in championship last year in the depths of winter. Um, like I said, 
uh, bright sunshine, crowds coming back and uh, coming up against the other champions. It should be the sort of game that that will get him going. Yeah, maybe it will. What's your ta- who, what's your prediction on this one, Jer? Uh, Tyrone for me have too much quality. Too much quality. Yeah. I, I I think you're right. I think if if uh, Myler might go back and Mark Martin, Martin Riley Hamsey on on Connor Madden, it, it's probably hard to see where Cavan will get the scores. Although they have a great spread of scores, that's just the disorganised way they play the game. I think Tyrone will have too much for them as well, Aaron. But like I mean, I don't see much being in it at the end. Yeah, well, I would say maybe Hampsey, if Garrod McKernan plays in the half-forward lane, you might see him going out there and Ronan McNamee on Madden on the inside lane. Um, but Tyrone have a, have a couple of quality defenders that, that can... Like, Cavan forward lane aren't going to... They don't have two or three players that's going to be hitting you for a goal or three or four points. It's really the collective where they're getting their scores from. Yeah. Um, and I would see, again, Tyrone uh, having enough to, to get over this one. Um, and set themselves up for, for a huge clash uh, in an Ulster semi-final. Exactly. The other big one in Ulster is Derry Donegal. It's in Bally Buffet. This is on, on Sunday. Like Rory Gallagher obviously knows the Donegal boys really, really well, Jer. Yeah. From being a man that's involved with a team now, how much of an advantage is that? It, it's definitely an advantage. But we, like I, the way I look at it, do we all not know the Donegal players? Like, what extras will he know? Yeah, it, it's it's maybe trying to get inside the head of uh, Donegal players in terms of what might irk them and try to put them off. And what they've admitted in a meeting they don't like. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Yeah, where a guy might be uh, uh, caught out or feel that he's frail and then yeah. try to try to uh, try to exploit it. Um, I, I I I think this is a a very exciting game, just given that Gallagher has been involved as manager and selector uh, up there. What maybe how, how long was he up there? Maybe what two or three years around fifteen, yeah. sixteen timer. Yeah, so 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 he 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 definitely knows the lay of the land there uh, particularly well, and I'm mostly interested actually to see how Derry will compete against the Division One team and a Derry team who uh, were uh, fairly well conditioned during the lockdown uh, more than most teams and again <laughs> fair play to them for being able to uh, we can't confirm it. or deny these allegations we can't confirm or deny it <laughs> again I've no issue with it but they do what they have to do <laughs> to go over the line but they're just hopping off the ground and they were so impressive in the uh, Division 3 league final as well so yeah. so I, 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 I'm actually interested just from a, a nearly even a sports science point of view to see you know how the conditioning of a Division 3 very very solid impressive Division 3 team will actually be able to uh, last against uh, a well-seasoned, well-oiled, um, albeit disappointing campaign last year, um, uh, Donegal, um, to see to see how they uh, they last over the 70-odd minutes of the game, you know. Uh, but Aaron, are Derry any better than Down, who Donegal dismantled? Uh, for me, they are, yeah. Um, Down don't have the midfield presence uh, or scoring threat that that uh, Derry have. Um, I know Derry have only come up from uh, from Division Three, and obviously you're talking about a Down team that was in a division above them and stayed there. Um, they'll be in the same division next year. But for me, I, I would have to agree. Where uh, like I literally see Derry's conditioning at this stage um, been up there nearly at Division One standard, um, which uh, like you've both alluded to is massively impressive. Um, they they have serious running pace and power, um, particularly coming from from the back line. Um, and like I've said, the the, the options now that they have uh, around the middle of the field um, 
it's it's huge. Like you, you'll do well to, to come across as many midfield parents that'll be as, as dynamic and hardworking um as Emmett Bradley and and Connor Glass. And for me, this is this is going to be a very very exciting game. Uh, I think. Like Rory Gallagher, everywhere he goes, he seems to get a great kick off his teams um, in his first few years. And they're obviously playing with serious belief and energy. And, and I think the one thing so has been from up north here is all the best footballers in Derry are on the Derry panel this year. Mm. Um, from the good young talent that they have coming through between their schools at under 17 and under 19, um, the top players from your, your slot Neils. Um, your Glenn Maharaz, everybody is available to him. And I would have to say it's a long time since I've seen that there in Derry. Um, so it'll it'll be very, very interesting. Um, I know there's a big gap division-wise here, but I think just because of the condition and, and the shape that Derry are in, uh, I think it'll be a bit closer than maybe most people would expect. And and, and that's something, Wally, that it, 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 it's, it's, it's not a point that's related to the players who are going to take to the field for Derry the weekend, but the work that goes on, say, behind the scenes for a management team um, and even a county board to try to change the culture where you've listened to Broly over the years uh, saying that this this club don't get on with that club and, and, and all the infighting that goes on and they can't get the best fellas on the pitch. But now, obviously, whatever's happened up there and the, the politics that have, have taken place and the the, the the conversations and maybe the new guy coming in then who doesn't have any baggage so to speak uh, with any of the clubs or delegates that he, he's able to get that bounce off the guys and the guys are buying in, into it and it is amazing what you can do and, and again that a lot of those dairy guys as well uh, Aaron mentioned the strong clubs up there and having played against Stock Neil a couple of times in Ballanderry uh, the dairy miners got to a final or semi-final against Kerry uh, a couple of years ago so these lads are used to big occasions and, and they certainly are on the up and, and, and Gallagher's doing a great job with them so far Yeah they, got, they, they definitely are on the up Another positive obviously like you mentioned Aaron Emmett Bradley and Conor Glass will be in midfield and we know McFadden loves to play the Colin Kavanagh role and, and he definitely will this weekend because of Shane McGuigan he'll be dropping back in front of him so one of them is going to have to understand that you're going to be free at some point until the changeover happens and somebody starts marking you make a nuisance of yourself especially Bradley I, don't, I wouldn't see I wouldn't see McFadden dropping off Bradley I'd say he'll probably mark Glass even if it's Glass then like they'll have a good physical battle but Glass needs to understand McFadden is going to run away from me a lot of the time to run in and cover McGuigan or Rory Gallagher being as smart as he is and having seen the, the damage that Garrett McKinless has been doing driving forward from centre half back yeah. it could be a case of where as soon as he takes off and he goes Connor Glass can sit back, cover for him, and he knows he's going at uh, Hugh McFadden, who realistically you're you're sort of a sitting duck. I know you might be able to, to come and try and meet it, but uh, I have to say, like I know Garrett McKinless um, from obviously playing club football against Ballinlary, and he's someone who was always very impressed with, but he probably just never really committed. He he was back and forward to America every summer, um, but it, it's obvious, you know. His talent is there, but he's bought into the, the whole county ethos. Um, and you can see from his performances that he's right at home at this level. Um, and he's somebody, like he, he loves the physicality. He loves a bit of confrontation. Um, and he's not going to shy away from any challenge or, or, or trying to, to take on anyone as he's breaking up the field. So you can be fairly sure as he goes forward, they're not going to leave themselves open at the back. Um, and, and if it is Hugh McFadden that's dropping off, I think that, 
something, a tweak like that there is something where I think you'll see Rory Gallagher's knowledge uh, really coming to the fore and how to exploit maybe certain players in certain situations. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. McKinless is an unbelievable weapon and if Glass drops back to centre half back, it just gives him literally no defensive responsibilities at all just to just to bump forward. Another positive for Derry is Chrissy McCaig will take up McBrearty. Very rare you see Chrissy McCaig get anyone getting the better of him. He's just a sticky, uh, uh, a sticky, excellent uh, player who you can depend on, you know, and they'll have Brendan Rogers, Mark and Michael Murphy. And Michael Murphy's coming back off a hamstring injury. Declan Bonner says he's all right. What's the message to Brendan Rogers? Get up that field, off you go every single time. And it's not like Brendan Rogers won't accept this invitation. <laughs> no, he'll, he'll try to take on a few fellas as well uh, going out the field. But, but both McCaig and, and Brendan Rogers and Rogers obviously in particular are, are, stro- are so strong at driving up the field. And if you have that defensive structure or understanding there, which, which are midfielders and, and, and Aaron Mer- uh, mentioned Connor Glass, if, if you see your half back or the likes of uh, McCaig um, or Rogers breaking through the line to try to create the overlap working work the ball, through the hands, you can go uh, in comfort as a defender knowing that, you know, someone's going to pick up my man and I don't need to be kind of half going, which is what a lot of defenders are going to do. But if you're going, just really go for it and see what happens, uh, knowing that if you are turned over, we still have a few bodies back there. But, yeah. Uh, no, it, it, it's uh, the, the biggest, again, question I would I would have of Derry is, is, is will they be able to maintain it? I think they definitely they're going to get a, a, a huge performance from themselves. I don't think they're going to fall off. They're not going to be uh, uh, overly nervous, uh, whereby their performance will be um, uh, impacted neg- negatively upon. It's just if they can actually just sustain that required effort um, uh, for the 70, 80 minutes to, to, to be able to stick with Donegal, you know. Yeah, um, Alan, can you see... Um, Donegal overthinking this and playing Mogan at centre half forward to to watch the threat of McKinless or you know it's hard to know where Mogan plays a lot of the time because it's all mashed in around he's picked in the forwards but often plays wing back you could play Bon Gallagher and Ryan McHugh as the two wing backs Brennan as centre back and Mogan at centre forward where he wouldn't be totally out of place but I want you goal side of McKinless every you know every time we don't have the ball waiting for that you know burst onto it yeah, it's an area that Donegal are going to have to be very aware of because, in general, the the, the I suppose the, the older teams there was a lot of people dropping back, but that team they, they tend to go with forwards. You know, they don't tend to go. I know, like I said, Mogan's always named, but he, he literally always plays wing half forward or wing half back. He might have yeah. a, a forward number on him, but he, he'll come back to wing half back. Um, none of their half forwards really like to be chasing and going the opposite way. Um, you know, Thompson, Langan, these boys, you know, they love getting on the ball, they love creating things, they love coming on the loop and getting shots off. Um, I don't think there's too many centre half forwards like spending the day uh, chasing their own man. Um, so it, it is definitely something that by all means they're going to be very much aware of and will have a plan for, but whether they'll do away with maybe one of their forwards uh, in order to yeah, to have Mogan chasing him, I, I'm not so sure. Maybe you know a Division One team, a team of the caliber of Donegal, um, someone has, as as smart as the likes of uh, Stephen Rochford, who you know in terms of what he did with Mayo or with uh, Carfin, in terms of having outlets in the half forward lane where balls played through that you occupy a defender instead of chasing the defender. Um, maybe that's the angle that they will look at to see can they exploit him 
in terms of defensively instead of him dictating the whole uh, state of play. Um, and the only other one that we just sort of passed over was, and I'm, I'm assuming he, he is back fit, but Brendan Rodgers in the Cavan game looked like he gave his hamstring a right tear. Um, so that's why he had missed the league final overall. So I suppose similarly, like Michael Murphy-Murphy uh, in that Monaghan game, luckily he tweaked the hamstring. Rogers pulled up really sharply in the Cavan game as he was breaking out one time. So he'll, he'll not have had much football under his belt. Um, and he might be probably just borderline as well. So uh, the two of them could probably bluff against each other and yeah, see how get on yeah. maybe they'll just mark each other yeah. I know, well, on, the, on, the, on the negatives for, for Derry in a, a, a big question mark I have over them is if Shane McGuigan is marked and McManaman will mark him he's Donegal's go-to man marker and you'll have McFadden sitting in front of him where do Derry's scores come from because I just I don't see enough danger um, in the Derry team to go along with McGuigan not in the full forward line anyways It'll, it'll probably have to come from the overlap and the ball being worked through the hands um, uh, probably attacking via the wing so if, if Shane McGuigan again from a coaching point of view and again I've, would have played in, in Donegal Boston with Steve McMenamin so a lovely guy uh, a very tough narky uh, defender very sticky um, prone to the odd yellow or the odd black if 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 if, if, if he is overzealous McMenamin in, in his marking of uh, Shane McGuigan will then you know that will obviously put Donegal under pressure, but McGuigan will probably have to step up to the sweeper again, try to occupy him, and then he'd just have two guys marking him uh, close by, which, which which then will create pockets of space behind. But when the sweeper is there, no point in kicking it in um, unless it's a very very deep crossfield ball like the lads used to put into uh, Ronan Clark, where Armad had it nearly right up on the uh, on the end line, and he's catching marks, which he'd be well able to do as well. But um, Generally speak, when you're faced with that type of defence, I think running through the hands and drawing out the defenders is something you'll have to do. If you do get a bit of a lead then and Donegal need to push up and they're chasing the game a bit, well then you have to evolve in the fields and then you've got to um, see the opportunities and the space then to kick it in uh, because Donegal can't afford to leave a sweeper there because they're under pressure. Yeah, they have to push out on them. Maybe, maybe that's the thing. Like, I mean, from Derry going forward, uh, just to finish up on this game, Aaron, like you see this young Higgins lad that plays with the minors. He's a beast of a man altogether. Him and Connor Glass. Then you put Emmett Bradley in the forwards. You know, and now you're beefing up that forwards. I just, I don't see enough danger in the forward line to take the next step. Rory Gallagher thinks that they, that they're, you know, well capable of, of challenging the very, very top teams. I'm not so sure they're there they're, they're, I think a realistic aim for them at the moment is to get to a level of a Galway maybe I would see them probably been a wee bit like Arma two or three years ago where the the, the potential is there uh, the rawness is there with them I think from 1 to about 12 um, you know they're very competitive they're in my eyes, a good Division 2 team at this stage um, and, and I see them staying in it next year but to get to this next level that Rory Gallagher's talking about, that's getting to Division 1, that's staying in Division 1 and that's beating the big teams. And for me, they're, they're just a couple of years off, but they're definitely heading in the right direction. Um, I think to, to make that next step, you need maybe one, possibly two more players of the level of, of Shane McGuigan, um, who's capable of taking the burden off him um, and still being able to rack up big scores. But they've just won the, the under-17s um, 
uh, last week, which was obviously last year's competition. A lot of those boys are under 18. They're very good on the 20 team. Yeah. Um, so there definitely is. There's a lot of talent coming through. There's a lot of the old traditional names starting to come through. Your Downies, your McGurks, um, these type names, obviously uh, coming from the great Derry team in the early 90s. So um, they're very much a county that have got their house in order and, and are starting to build again. Great to see it, isn't it? Do, yeah. you get, do any of the 95 All-Ireland winners... Uh, Good question. Young, I don't think any. No, I think you'd go back to the eighty-three. Yeah, we have the Brogans, Yeah, match, that yeah. kind of and and Barney Rock and stuff yeah. like that. It's probably too it's too average. It's been too too uh, recent. Should yeah, it only be fifty? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking nonsense here. Uh, Tipperary Kerry <laughs> lads. For we'll all go Donegal there, lads. Yep, for me. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll all go Donegal. Tipperary Kerry lads. We won't spend too much time on this. This is going to be a one-sided. Um, game as far as I can see like it's very obvious what Tipperary are going to do they'll do the same as they did against Cork um, I think Aaron in last year's final Quinn Livin Sweeney inside drop bodies back try and hit them on the counter attack the problem is Kerry aren't as as tactically naive as Cork were in the Munster final so like I mean that's pretty much their only hope but whether that will work or not is the question yeah, and I think, again, Kerry obviously had a had a good comprehensive win against Claire, Claire last day out, but Kerry being Kerry, they'll just want to lay it out a marker and just let Tipperary know that that was the final, or months the final they won last year. It wasn't against the Kerry team. Uh, they mean business. This is just another step in the road for them. Um, and I would say it's been a, a very difficult day at the office for Tipperary. They just, they seem like they've lost the, the sort of last, the zest and buzz that they had within their group last year. Um, and like I said, just a few injuries, lots of appetite in that there. Um, there's for me, yeah. There, there'll only be there'll only be one winner. What I'm probably more interested to see is is there any what's the tweaks in the Kerry team? Um, what changes have they made? What have they learned from the last day? Um, I know as comfortable as the one for me personally, I, I still think that there are areas that they need to improve on. And as a neutral looking in, that's what I'll be looking to see. Um, you know, because we're all hoping for for a bigger picture and a bigger game down the lane um, that they might be involved in. Yeah, no, we definitely are. One thing that Tipperary will mess up if they use that counter-attack game, and now it's not an ugly counter-attack game, they'll, they'll, they'll turn it over and they'll, tr- they'll look to kick into the two lads, but at the same time, Kerry's game is a kicking game, and Kerry don't like playing against this because they have to play that kind of stalemate game on the outside of a, of a screen. Kerry don't like that. They hate it, in fact. So, like, I mean, it is in Tipperary's interest to cut out those kick passes and take Kerry out of a game that they want. But at, at, at the same time, I think Kerry forwards this year, any Kerry forward getting the ball inside the 45, the opposition 45, they're having a cut and they're asking questions of, of, of their marker and even the sweeper, the, uh, a couple of sweepers that are there. And with the off-the-shoulder running, the kind of uh, diagonal runs or banana runs off the shoulder, the way Kerry are moving at the uh, at the moment, for me, you could have 20 temporary footballers back there and it's still going to, uh, only going to be one winner. Um, so again, something Aaron mentioned there, and he, and he talked about Conor McKenna with Tyrone, that, that bit of energy and spark that was there when he came back last year. Um, he needs to get back to that level but in the same way Tipperary as a whole I've seen a good bit of them this year and, 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 and he's definitely lost that bit of energy and that bit of spark um, you still have quality players there but they're kind of playing within themselves and, and uh, I, I just can't see them turning around and, 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 and Kerry are in the humour Where, where's the match on is it? 
Um, it is on a Turles. It's on Turles. So I was going to yeah. say, if it was on for Cheryl Stadium, uh, I think uh, Kerry could really wipe the, uh, the floor with them. Yeah, but Turles is a big football and pitch. Like, well, it's, well, a, it's yeah. a hurling pitch, but it's a massive pitch. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. it's, this is one of the pilots. So there's 3,500 there. So there'll be 100 Tipperary fans and 3,400 Kerry fans, by the way. Yeah. Tipperary don't get support. It, the home advantage isn't great for Tip because they're not well supported. Yeah. And they don't have an exceptional record at home anyway. So, like, I mean, I, wouldn't, I would see that pitch almost suiting... Um, Kerry more than uh, than Tipperary. Are we all going for Kerry here? Going for Kerry, yeah. Aaron, I am indeed. Yeah, Kerry yeah. as well. Also, I don't know why I threw that threw that over there. Will be interesting to see where Sean O'Shea uh, plays as well. It's another kind of talking point. Cork Limerick is the other one. This is in the Gaelic grounds, a home game from Limerick. This was a weird one because 2019 they played each other in the championship, and I was talking Limerick up a little bit, and I was thinking maybe you know I think they were coming off a, a win before that game and they ended up getting beaten 3-18 to 6 points Um, obviously Limerick have improved a lot since then they should have beaten Tip last year and they were very impressive in the league this year they won 2 of the 3 games they got into semi-final and Derry beat them 18-14 something like that so like and then they followed that up by hammering Waterford so they seem like like they're a different prospect now uh, Ger than they were um, than they were 2 years ago you still have to fancy Cork strongly, but it. I don't know. I'm. I'm trying to make a case for this not being a very one-sided game. I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm going to go, go with Limerick on this occasion, and and I can't think of the manager's name. Uh, for Billy him. Lee. Billy Lee. But listen to him speak after the Waterford game. He he was talking about this team. We just want to get the best out of ourselves. We want to get better week to week, and 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 that's what we're all about. And and that disappointment of losing against Tip last year, but obviously a wonderful equalising point from uh, Quinn Libin and the normal time on the outside of the left I think um, they were so disappointed Sweeney Connor Sweeney they would have been so disappointed and, and deflated by that and you can see it in their performance this year and they pushed Derry probably the closest of all the league games that they actually had uh, keeping uh, within four points um, so I, 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 I'm going to go with Limerick um, on this occasion I, I haven't been overly impressed with Cork I don't know if they've come on any further it does, doesn't from the league you see it's very hard to yeah. read league league form but it doesn't look like they've come on it looks yeah. looks like they have gone backwards conceded 25 points to Westmead yeah, in yeah. their relegation match yeah and, and even then to be relegated as well but no they weren't the, relegated they just weren't promoted they beat Westmead in that ok sorry ok um, it, 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 it's it's They've they've only been all right, and they've only been all right for the last number of years uh, for me. And they 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 just caught Kerry on the on the hop last year in the once yeah. final Kerry took the right off the ball. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Limerick now. I think for this one. Yeah, well, I, I'm going for Cork. I yeah. I do think that like I mean they probably will have too much for them with Hurley and Collins back, and and you know they have a better forward line probably to get those scores. We um, put a tenner. We put a tenner on it. Oh, we can if you want. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. you're gonna be even money. Yeah, even money, yeah. tenner. That's the, <laughs> okay. Geez, that's a that's a great offer. Yeah. Um, what do, what do, how do you yeah, see this I, going? I, I'll, I'll jump in. I'll, <laughs> I'll go with Cork. Um, I, I can see exactly where Jared's coming from. I think a lot of the him you end up just getting frustrated with Cork because a lot of teams you, you know what they're doing. You can see a pattern to them, and for for me, I never really see much of a pattern with them. I don't really know what their style of play is. They just seem no. to have raw talent, good good, good athletes. Um. I suppose from last year, obviously Kieran Sheehan has retired, even though obviously he didn't play against against Kerry. But Killian O'Hanlon, I think he'd done the cruciate early in the year. He's out. He's a um, big Cahill loss. Yeah. was a very good uh, forward. Like I was very impressed with him at their an under twenties um, last year, and, and obviously he's out now for the remainder of the season. But still, with Luke Conley, Mark Collins, Brian Hurley, um, Rory Dean, those boys, I, I still see them having enough up front 
um, to, to get to scoring's not really an issue for them in, in games like that, whether it's against Westmead or your Limericks. Um, but it's it's taken that next step from being a, a Division Two team to being a consistent top Division One team is where they seem to be the stalemate at the moment. So again, I, I do see it being competitive, much more competitive than what it was in eighteen. But uh, for me, I'll I'll go with Cork in this one. Yeah, I'll go with Cork. Uh, I'll go Cork as well, and we'll be a tenner each. I'm a bit serious, I think Sterling will win, aren't we? <laughs> All right, uh, uh, I'll jump out of this. One. Yeah. <laughs> Last one then is Leitrim Mayo lads. There's not too much to say here. Like this was, this is going to be a complete mismatch. Like I mean, Leitrim got relegated from Division Three, and they didn't win a game in Division Four, which was surprising. Although they were very competitive against good teams, Antrim and Loud. Um, you know, it was a tough division yeah. that they were in, um, uh, Leitrim. But at the same time, like I mean, they just don't have a chance here against Mayo. They don't have a chance, and 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 uh, you know, to all due respect to, to to Leitrim, it's just hard to see um, anyway that. Uh, they're going to ask too many questions of Mayo and you know if, I, if I'm going to jump forward to the Connacht final I think Mayo playing against Sligo playing in Division 2 albeit they've done really well in Division 2 Mayo hammering Sligo probably something similar against Leitrim to go in and play against the Galway who have had more challenging games albeit uh, um, intermittent results you know but obviously coming off the back of a a hard-fought, kind of sloppy, r- rainy day uh, against Roscommon. I think that's going to stand more to Galway going into the game uh, in the Connacht final, but I don't be jumping ahead. Yeah, because we're nearly out of time now. Let's not preview the Connacht let's, final Let's not preview, but, but uh, it's, it's yeah, Mayo all day. Yeah, Mayo all day, Aaron. It is, I again, get what Jared's saying there, but I think what James Horan has done this past few years, he's built, a seriously competitive panel um, you know you could have two or three changes in any one day and everyone fits into the system um, even minus uh, Killian O'Connor still see them comfortably getting over this one yeah and like I mean it's in McHale Park like the reality is yeah. the way Mayo approach these games is this game could be over after 15 minutes a bit like the Sligo one they'll just go all for it heavy metal football blow a team Leitrim won't know whether they're coming or going because yeah. Mayo are so powerful and such a good footballing team that that'll be it'll probably be over no disrespect to Leitrim or anything like that right listen we've gone way over time we'll be back on Monday hopefully the Ulster Championship throws us gets sparks this championship into life and we'll have two good games um, up there the rest of them probably be a little bit one-sided except for Limerick Cork where I, me and Aaron will have a tenor <laughs> off uh, Jar on Monday right we'll leave it there we'll be back on Monday we'll talk to you all then good luck But this little dink ball, no one in the crowd at area where it's a fist pass, the weight is taken over, hits the ground and it bounces into a fella's chest. Why do you not do many interviews? Oh really? Yeah, I've been asked to do a whole while. Really? Yeah. Have you ever rang me? And they're roaring at me, I coffee, you free state bastard. <laughs> and next thing I hear, you have no fucking jurisdiction up here. <laughs> <laughs>